Mark chapter 5. We'll be in the Christian Standard Bible, uh, that particular translation today. Those are in the the black-colored Bibles in the baskets at the back, if you'd like to go grab one. Um, In Mark chapter 5, we continue this series of Walking with Jesus, Entering the Gospel Narrative. And in this series, we are talking about discipleship, specifically uh, what it means to make disciples of Jesus, be disciples, grow as disciples of Jesus, and just what it looks like for a local church to be involved in that. Some of it uh, gets dealt with in, um, in larger doses along the way, like today's is going to be really more about some questions about um, our own personal growth as a disciple of Jesus. Um, it doesn't immediately make itself clear at the onset, uh, but um, hopefully I'll be able to clear that up as we get through the text and talk about the text um, in just a few minutes. Um, today I'm talking about confronting Legion, confronting legion. Some of you know this text, understand what legion refers to, um, but others of you have never heard this text. Uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm going to tell you, though, um, whether you've been aware of this text or not, it probably is not going to mean the same thing to you by the end of today as uh, just the initial thought in your mind as to what it looks like to confront legion. And uh, again, I'll unpack a little bit why that is here in just a few minutes. Um, so let's go ahead and start in verse 1, and we'll go ahead and read through it, and then we'll come back and, um, and make some observations. Uh, starting in verse 1, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Uh, just real quick, if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, um, the Bible's new to you. I just want you to know that an unclean spirit is what it sounds like. Um, And in fact, he's going to say it in uh, in very plain terms uh, that we're talking about demon uh, possession here. Um, So, or there's also a word uh, that we use uh, that's derived from the Bible called demonization. Um, It's also another one uh, that we use kind of interchangeably there. Uh, He lived in the tombs, it says, uh, this man with the demon possession, and no one was able to restrain him anymore. Uh, So apparently at one time they were able to restrain him, but not anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Sad deal here. Uh, Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. Sounds good so far, right? You think he's going to be asking for healing, uh, maybe asking for intervention. And he cried out with a loud voice, instead, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high, hope most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Jesus had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now Jesus is talking to the man, but the man doesn't lose his voice here, doesn't lose himself in the demonic um, possession or oppression. What he does, though, is he is something of merged with the voice of the demon that is obviously the dominating aspect of his personality at this point. Uh, Jesus says, what is your name? What is your name? And the demon responds, my name is Legion, because we are many. Okay, so now we learn that this isn't just about a singular demon. There are many demons involved in this possession. My name is Legion, because we are many, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. And so a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So Jesus gave them permission to do that. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who had tended them, the pigs, ran off and reported what had occurred in the town and the countryside. And people went to see What had happened? They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. That's interesting, isn't it? And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus earnestly that he might remain with him. But Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people, report to them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went out, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. So this is an interesting, interesting uh, occurrence, isn't it? Um, one of the most interesting, um, imagination-captivating occurrences um, that I was confronted with in the Scriptures early on in my Christian life. Um, just always amazed at it. In fact, it was the first passage that probably introduced me to the whole idea of spiritual warfare, the idea of spirit realm attacks and spirit realm um, uh, beings like demons and angels and whatnot. Um, this, was a, this was something of an introduction. I cut my teeth on it here. And having read this, um, reflected on it some more, uh, meditated on it, prayed through the text this week, uh, I'm going to walk through at least uh, five uh, observations on this text, uh, starting with two of the most obvious that, that probably you have too, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page about them, um, even if it does feel redundant based upon what you're already thinking about the text. Um, and then I want to work towards what might not be so obvious at first reading, uh, because when you read texts in the scriptures, um, when you really do... Um, read and interact with the Lord on them. It's really interesting how certain things kind of pop out upon second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth readings. Um, the Lord's just really interesting and good to us to continue to feed us from the depths of his scriptures because they just have so much to say. And, um, and, and on, beyond that, also, there are men and women much smarter than me uh, who have studied, who have written, uh, uh, commented on these texts that I've also learned uh, quite a bit from, not only recently, but through the years. So let's go ahead and start with just the most obvious thing that we can say as we walk away from this text and think about what it's trying to convey holistically. First is that the spirit realm warfare, spirit realm warfare and the demonic the nature of the demonic and, and, and the oppression that comes from it or the demonization of human beings is far more real than you and I often consider or that we often think about maybe. Uh, maybe we uh, would say that I intellectually believe it, but we don't think about it a lot. Uh, we don't consider it a lot. We don't look around and, and wonder about how we might be um, influenced by uh, the machinations of the demonic realm very often. Uh, but this passage paints an unmistakable picture, as do other passages within the gospel accounts, that the spirit realm attacks, spirit realm warfare is very real. It is uh, probably more real than I often consider and far more dark than I usually imagine. Um, <clears throat> my reading of this in my immaturity uh, as a young kid and probably the immaturity of some uh, youth pastors who preached out of it um, was to kind of mock and make fun of this crazy looking dude um, coming out of a tomb and, and, and really upon reflection in, in, in my older life, I, I, I say older, I'm only 48, but, uh, so, but, but the longer I live, the more I have incredible sadness for this guy. Um, this is a terrible situation uh, that he is in. Um, incredible, incredible oppressive slavery, spiritually speaking, uh, that he's in the bondage of. Um, and so um, uh, the more I read, the longer I live, the darker this kind of tale becomes to me, um, darker than I read it before. And to that point is a lot of times the demonic is darker than even our imagination is able to carry us away with. 
Um, so anyway, that's the first observation that may have been plain uh, to most of us, but I just want to say it out loud so that we're real clear that there is a plain and obvious surface thing going on here regarding um, spirit realm warfare. The second thing is related, and that is that spirit realm warfare and the attacks from the enemy of our souls um, from the demonic are so thoroughly, deeply um, affecting to our whole self. Um, something we don't think about often, but what you get here in the picture of this um, demon-possessed man at the Gerasenes is really a holistically thorough demonization of this man. Like, like it has affected him to his very fiber, every aspect of who he is, whether it's the physical aspect of who he is, the intellect, mental aspect of it. He's obviously not in his right mind. He's obviously physically um, powerful in a way that he was not at first when he began, began to suffer uh, from some form of demonization. Um, but, but it has affected his physicality, uh, not just in being strong, but it also he looks like a man uh, who has actually been terrorized uh, by the demonic. Um, he's been put in chains. He's been abused, mistreated. Uh, uh, emotionally, he cries out. Um, he is uh, in anguish, probably pain, uh, probably uh, with some, uh, some vitriol. Uh, this is a man who is thoroughly, to his core, every aspect of a person has been saturated with the demonic. Um, and, and it's really important to understand how thoroughly trapped he is in this. It really feels hopeless. Um, if you just consider only the description and not what in good news comes after the description in Jesus freeing him uh, from this. Uh, but it's important to remember because um, it reminds us of how thorough uh, what the enemy can do to us, how thorough and how widespread it can actually infect and invade um, our whole being. This man is really, if you want to use the language of discipleship, um, he has really been remade or made new into something far less than the image of God. It's not a good make new. He's been made new into a lesser image than the image of God. He has been discipled by great pain. Uh, he has been discipled by his fears. He has been discipled by emotional scarring. He's been discipled by the attacks of the enemy that is living within him and the people on the outside who have responded to the enemy living with him, who tried to change, chain him. He wasn't just being attacked by, by what was in him, but he was also being restrained and probably abused in some way by the local population that did not know what to do uh, with a person like, um, like this man. And so those are just two surface observations I want to throw out. But now I want to get into a little bit more about, um, about what we can and can't derive from this text. I'm going to start with something that I'm not saying that we cannot derive from this text. Just because this is seemingly focused in on um, an attack uh, from the spirit realm and demons, and demons are named... Uh, legion in this does not mean that there might not be something else also at work in him. Uh, in other words, um, I am advocating, and I have been advocating uh, for some time, a robust belief, awareness, and sensitivity to the spirit realm and the warfare of the spirit realm and the maneuvering of the demonic um, in this world. But at the same time, uh, I do not want that to somehow uh, make the fact that uh, or minimize the fact that there is a reality to what we would call mental illnesses in this world. Um, if you want to go to the extreme, we might even call something of what this guy is, is um, suffering from, we might even call it schizophrenia. Um, uh, multiple personalities, uh, legion, we are many. Um, he's using something of the language of what people would use in schizophrenia and the like. Um, in fact, much of the time, these things are not mutually exclusive. The Bible doesn't really talk 
um, about medical science very often. Uh, it may give a little bit here and there, especially when it comes to um, Luke, who was known as a physician. Um, but for the most part, the Bible is just not real. It, does, it just doesn't talk a lot about those things. But just because it doesn't talk about it doesn't mean that in reality they don't exist. These things are not mutually exclusive. Oftentimes, um, these things are working in concert, in tandem with one another. Um, someone can be um, either influenced or demonized, but at the same time have a very real illness that they are suffering, mental or otherwise. And uh, I just think you have, to, you have to say that out loud and make sure we all understand that th both of those things can be true. This isn't just a case of, of a, a man demon-possessed and then schizophrenia is a whole nother thing. It can be, uh, or there can be degrees and aspects of both intermixing with one another. I am certainly not prescribing we go back to the days of the witch trials and we dunk everyone who exhibits any kind of an illness that we consider weird, abnormal, or out of uh, the societal mainstream. What I am saying that oftentimes in the way that, um, that um, uh, was described in, um, in the screw tape letters, uh, you may be familiar with the screw tape uh, letters, but uh, the screw tape letters um, are a part of, um, why well, I've, I've forgotten his name, C.S. Lewis, thank you. Um, I had a moment. Um, <laughs> screw tape letters, in the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the fun things about that is his imagination is able to kind of give you an idea as to how the demonic could think and prowl like a roaring lion, how it could seek to steal, kill, and destroy in ways we maybe haven't thought about um, real clearly. And, and one of the things that he does, he uses narrative, obviously, this discussion between a demon and his demon disciple, uh, between Screwtape and Wormwood, and he says to Screwtape, I'm sorry, Screwtape says to Wormwood, he, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically, um, if we get people basically only materialistic or only magic, we got them where we want them. Um, like like that, is, that is really looking at people as non-integrated people. Um, and that's usually not how people operate. They're much more integrated. Um, there's a lot of things going on in us when something is not right in us. And, um, and it's, it's unfair and it would be inconsistent, um, not only with experience, but it'd be inconsistent a lot of times with the scriptures to say that there isn't an emotional, mental, and very much um, external influence or demonic influence involved all at the same times in varying degrees in different ways. Um, so with that being said, I just want you to understand that as image bearers, we are living spirits, um, but that means our physicality and our intellect and our emotions are a part of life as a living spirit in God's inner image, and that it all interloops with one another. Um, and so a lot of things can be happening. And so don't hear me say that, but at the same time, I am saying with, with conviction, we've got to be aware and believe in a spiritual realm that is actually very active and going on all the time. It is to our detriment for us to become the other end being materialists and only seeing things as logic and uh, things that can be prescribed, described, or whatever. Uh, some things are simply a mystery and are happening behind the scenes by something very evil. And we don't have a way of understanding how all that's working, but it's there. And being aware of it, believing in it, and having a sensitivity to it is really important. Just it doesn't cancel out the material realm. Okay, so um, anyway, let's not let's not work in extremes there. Um, then I, the the fourth thing I want to mention is that just because this passage focuses so clearly on the demonic, and it does, uh, let's just say that we've already said that, it does not mean that this was the singular source of this man's struggles. It doesn't mean. Um, that's what we're given, informational-wise. Um, I don't want to speculate on any other thing uh, because speculation, I, I just I, we could go down a big rabbit hole. Um, but, but this does not mean that this is necessarily his only source of struggle. In truth, 
and this is a general principle from the scriptures, not something I'm deriving from this story in particular. Um, but in general, um, there are three enemies at work always against my soul and your soul at any given time and in varying degrees on the spectrum. Like sometimes it's more of one than the other. Uh, those three things are, of course, demonic influences, but secondly, external influences. External influences. And this is just a broad way of saying all the things that encompass a fallen world that sin is in and running rampant and kind of having its way. Uh, we could be talking about nature. We could be talking about culture. Basically, anything that you could imagine as an external force, there are evil external forces at work that are actually trying to pursue and bring down my soul and your soul. Um, but beyond the demonic, beyond the external uh, influences, there's this, there is also the grand influence of my flesh. The uh, Bible talks in great length about this particular enemy of my soul. Ironically, enemy of my soul is my own flesh. Uh, but when it's talking about that, it's talking about all the things in me uh, that is comfortable with, good with, maybe even celebrates its life without God and without needing God. Um, it's the part of me that says I don't need God, does not leverage and utilize the gifts of God, and that does not appreciate and worship God. Um, and so what it leaves me with, it leaves me with all the things our flesh has apart from God. And that is illnesses, um, wrecked and misplaced desires, um, a lot of weaknesses, um, like, like the, the older I get, the more weaknesses I actually see in myself um, that I'm like, oh, man, that is really a weak spot in me. Um, and, and it may be something that someone's been saying for years. Um, but, but finally, for whatever reason, my heart has really received it. Um, limitations. Um, and that's really a hard one, especially in a world um, where we give participation trophies and say you can be anything you want to be. And the truth is, kids, you cannot. You cannot be everything you want to be. Um, there are a lot of people who will stop you from doing that because you have a lot of other people who think they can be anything they want to be, and they're going to try and keep you from being everything you want to be. Um, and, and so the limitations and coming to peace with limitations in a sin-fallen world, um, and then also compulsions, things that uh, the... Uh, Pastor uh, Paul the Apostle talks about when he talks about things I don't want to do, but I do them, but I do, uh, don't do the things that I don't want to do. Uh, he's talking about his flesh kind of having his way and cutting him up, basically, on a spiritual level. Um, that is what we're left to without God, is, is our flesh. And so we have those three enemies, always at work, always pursuing us. It's not just the devil prowling like a lion out to seek, to steal, kill, and destroy. External influences are actually trying to do that as well, oftentimes the evil ones, and so is my flesh. Um, I, I, may, I don't want to project this on you, but maybe I'm talking about myself, but I seem to be my worst own worst enemy so much. Like I seem to sabotage myself in weird, awful ways sometimes. And, um, but, but when I, when I do that and I catch it or I catch it before it goes too far, man, I'm like, wow. Okay. So this is it. This is that flesh, that part of me that I, what, something has not been submitted to the Lord and it is really attacking me right now. Like I feel it really in my bones that my flesh hates me. Um, but again, in saying that I could also say at the same time, but there also may be something at work under the surface, uh, in the spirit realm, demonic, I'm just not perceiving it as well. All this can go on all at the same time. So let's not assume that this man only had demon possession. That's just all that this text gives us. Um, fifth observation, and this is my last one. Um, this one uh, is where we get to the, the point of saying, if I were to title today's message, it would be Confronting Legion. Um, that's hard for us because if you're familiar with the story, your knee jerk to that is saying, this is a story to encourage us to confront and engage in spiritual warfare where we see evil having its way. And there's no doubt that, that actually, I mean, that's, that's actually a good, that's a good thing to take away from this passage. There's no question about that. Um, 
I will say, though, I don't think that's all that it's getting at or all that it wants us to derive from it, just to be on alert and be ready to engage in spiritual warfare, to engage evil where it is, um, to find legion where it exists in this world and confront it with the gospel and with the name of Jesus. Um, I want to turn that on its head a little bit, saying that that's true too, but there's another side to that. Um, would you consider that legion might be closer to all of us than you and I might realize? Would you just consider that? Um, here's what I mean. When I think of men and women in the Bible with whom I identify, I don't know if you've ever played this game, um, where you say, man, if there's, if there's a person in the Bible you most identify with, who is it? You know, and you say some name. Most of the names that get said are uh, Peter, uh, John, uh, Paul, uh, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, uh, maybe even Noah. I mean, the biggies of the scripture. Nobody says the demon-possessed man at the garrisons, right? Yeah, like no one says that, right? Um, but consider this, um, and this is, um, yeah, so this is, this is something I have dealt and done a little bit of battle with this week, so um, I'm not completely done with this. Um, the Bible is meant to be read as God's revelation, okay? It's purest form. When we talk about the Bible, it's not just a holy book. It's God's revelation. It's his revealing. He's revealing his words that he wants to say to us. He's revealing who he is, his character, his gospel message. Um, and so it's his revealing of all these things, his plan for this world, redemption history. And with that in mind, this... Um, the fantastical and extreme nature of this man's afflictions, uh, they are not meant for us to read this passage in a disembodied, kind of far-off way. Like, 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 when I was younger reading this for the first time, that's probably how I read it. Like, this seems really far out there and far off. This is really a fascinating, uh, fascinating occurrence and tale. Um, basically, merely reading it in an observatorial way as if I was studying this interesting case of the demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes, right? Um, I had not considered until recently entering into the text and identifying myself with the demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes, not because I believe I'm demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I just want to get that out there real quick. Um, But when we read this passage, it is either going to be a discipleship moment for me and a discipleship moment for you, basically God's revelation to you, um, or merely a moment of curiosity and intrigue at such a strange and foreign occurrence that we don't come across in our daily lives. And I just, I would really like to challenge myself and you to, to really Maybe expand our hearts a little and get out of that mentality of observatorial um, intrigue on this text. And um, back to the point, legion can be, and in this, in this text, is in fact a host, a multiplicity of demons. Legion doesn't have to be a multiplicity of demons. Here's what I'm getting at. Um, could it be that in telling us what would be the most extreme case of a multiplicity of personas and personalities within us under the guise of demon possession is only a far extreme case 
of the much more benign, much more common, much more street-level version of what you and I actually go through oftentimes when we play out different roles and personalities with different people in our lives. Is it possible that to confront legion is to confront the version of legion in us? It may not be a demon-possessed version. (laughs) That much could be very true. It could be very demon-influenced. It could be very much cultural and and external-influenced. It could be flesh-influenced. But here's the thing. When we read uh, several weeks ago, out of the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we read each beatitude and talked about what each beatitude really was going for, what Jesus was trying to communicate with each one. And I want to refer you back to Matthew 5, 8, where he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? A lot of people say pure at heart, man, there's a, there's a, there's a um, kind of a moral purity to them. And, and what, that's actually not consistent with what, how the Bible talks about that concept throughout. In fact, we'll read a passage that actually refers to that concept and draws a very straight length as to what it's talking about when it talks about purity of heart. But if you, remember, if you weren't with us or you don't remember back what we were talking about, when it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, He's referring to those that are free from a divided self. They are the pure, singular selves in God's image they were created to be and now identifying with Jesus. That in the gospel, we have an identity, a true north in Jesus that basically makes us into the person we were always meant to be as image bearers or it starts to form us in this lifetime. We don't actually become that until after this lifetime, but it begins to form and shape us into the who we were supposed to be. We were never meant to be divided selves, but yet a part of the fallen nature of this world, we are divided selves. And so he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. He's saying, blessed are those who no longer have got to live a double life, a duality of personalities, or a multiplicity of personalities, for they will see God. Blessed are those who are not wrecked with contradiction and hypocrisy, those that are completely single-minded in their devotion to the king and his kingdom. They are blessed because this single-mindedness clears the fog we live under so often. You know what causes a lot of the fog in our life? I mean, there's a lot of things, but there's, there's one thing that we don't really consider, and that is that we do engage in and create and live out so many different personas with so many different groupings of people that sometimes we forget who we are, we forget what we said to people, we forget what we did with people, and there's just a fog because we're trying to manage multiple versions of ourselves. I see people manage versions of themselves online, very different from the person I've met. I see people managing, you know, keyboard warrior and then very timid. It's, I know it's obvious, easy target, but, um, and if I could just share with you um, from my own life, um, I, I was, I had to take a profile assessment where other people basically uh, this profile assessment is called the flippin' profile assessment. I was told in, in the first service, hey, be specific as what you mean by flippin' because I think you're replacing a word when you say that. Um, I'm not replacing a word. It's literally called a flippin' assessment. Um, <laughs> you can see where people would mistake that. Um, the flippin' assessment, though, I think is used by the military, if I remember right, and other organizations. Um, but here's the, here's the beauty of it over some other things. And, I like a lot of these assessments, but this one's really interesting in that it gauges how people experience you. It tells you how people experience you. The good news of that, you get to read your assessment report, and you get to see the ways in which, while on the spectrum, they're maybe not exactly lining up. You see how people generally experience you in similar ways, and you celebrate and say, there's a consistency of self there. But then you see that one, that one area where this person's got you here, this person's got you here, this person's got you here, this person, and you're like, what is going on there? And my good friend who walked me through it um, uh, doesn't pull punches. He just said, well, there's an inconsistency to who you are. That's it. You're, You're not integrated in that way for sure. Like you're playing different roles and being different people. 
in that one area. Legion was winning. Legion was winning, man. Was not going confronted. And it said after this man was freed of them that he was in his right mind. Again, that concept, just those, those words, that phrase, is right mind. The idea is singular. He's clear. The fog is lifted. He is becoming, he has begun the journey of becoming who he really is with an identity in Christ. I've referred to James a minute ago, but it just bears repeating. James 1a talks about um, double-mindedness, which again is the idea of multiplicity of self, of mind, of emotion, of personality, and, um, and it, it draws a direct link between purity of heart or a lack of purity of heart being double-mindedness. And then it goes on. This is really where it gets interesting while it applies and where my reflection on this in basically referencing other scriptures, letting scripture interpret itself. Um, when you go to James 4, 8, you see he's talking about resisting the devil. Um, he'll flee from you. And the way you do this is you go before the Lord. Um, so the implication is that the devil actually has a part to play in even basic, common, garden-variety double-mindedness. You don't have to be raving lunatics, chained up and physically powerful to be influenced by the enemy of your souls. You can just be playing out different roles and different characters in the narrative of this world. Pause. Here's what I'm not saying. Do you show discretion in some crowds versus other crowds? Yeah, right? I don't think that's playing different personalities. That's just being wise, right? So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about different groupings. Like, like if you get me in a kind of a party atmosphere, uh, you know, whatever you view of me from up here, whatever you view from me in person is going to change. Like, like I, I love a good party, and I can get, I'm crazy. Um, I, can, I can get gregarious and loud and talk, and I can even get funny. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, yeah, it's a part of my life that I love. And so, so they're like personas you take on that, that, are, some, that are tied to just sizes of, of crowds, and that's normal, that's natural. Um, not talking about those things. I'm talking about really playing out the kind of roles that you're seeking approval over or you're seeking some sort of um, breaking of the tension of the fear of man for. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, give you an easy example um, of younger, uh, immature Rick and older, more mature, still maturing Rick. Um, younger, immature Rick, when he'd go to a gym, and he'd meet with a, um, um, a trainer, you know, because they always give you one free training session whenever you join a gym. Um, and it's really just to suck you into more training, right? Um, but, 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 you know, they take their job seriously and they talk. Young Rick, because he sees a buff dude in front of him and he wants to be that buff dude and wants the approval of the buff dude, doesn't want the buff dude to think that he's weak. When he starts mentioning a lot of words and body biology that he doesn't understand, just nods his head and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I read an article last week. I didn't. <laughs> but why am I acting like I'm a guy who knows what I'm talking about? You know, why am I BSing? Why am I doing that? Because I want approval, I have a fear of man, and it's leading me to be something different. That's what I'm talking about. That's a multiplicity of roles and personalities. Older Rick, thank God, I probably have more growing to go, but when I meet a trainer now, I'm usually like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just tell me what to do. 
I could probably use some discretion added to that and be more kind about it and more, less straightforward. But you get the point. Um, what does it look like for you and I to be in our right mind? Single-minded. A few final words as we close out. Um, and I would, I would categorize these words as caution and encouragement. Um, the first two are more caution. The last one's more encouragement. Uh, the first is in the war against the flesh, the demonic and the external influences that wage war against us, um, you and I, no matter how much we think we can, we really cannot trust our feelings much of the time. And our feelings are really, really wild cards most of the time. Um, emotions, and again, I don't want to project this on you, but I think this is true based upon my conversations with most human beings I interact with, is emotions feel like the hardest thing to bring under the control of Jesus. Um, and if I'm being candid, many moments in my life, I've thought my mind can come under the control of Jesus, my actions can, but there's a vestige of my person that says emotions are different. They're much more wild, much more far outside of the scope of what God actually does for people. That's not true. That's not true. If he is Lord of demons, he is Lord of my emotions. Should I submit him to it? By the way, another reason why I know this is mainly just an extreme case and that everything that's less extreme applies as a rule like my lesser version of Legion applies, is because we see a, a, a series of extreme cases in the text before this one and the text after this one. We have an example of, of the, the storm raging around them and Jesus basically saying, nature, stop. If he can say, nature, stop, well then, he can do much smaller things that are of the natural order that we petition him to do for us. Furthermore, he goes to heal a daughter of Jairus who is on her deathbed. And on the way, a woman who had been bleeding from years, which in those days, in those times, medical science, that would have been considered kind of a lost cause, hopeless case. And so this was also an extreme occurrence right after the demonization occurrence. And, and in this stream, extreme occurrence, she finds her way to Jesus, holds onto his cloak, and is healed. Amazing act of God. Just an amazing miracle. And this amazing miracle, again, was to show if God can do that to really an utterly hopeless medical science situation for this woman, well, he can do a lot for what's lesser in your life. And then finally it ends with Jairus' daughter. He shows up after having been told on the way that she has already died. And then he shows up, says, no, she's just asleep. No, 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 really, Jesus, she's died. She's dead. He goes, no, she's asleep. Everyone leave. Goes in, tells her to get up. She gets up. She's alive. Again, he is, con he can, he is the Lord of and he has authority over nature, over the spiritual realm, over my body and physicality and, and, and medical sciences, and, and he is also the Lord over death and life. And he showed that, he demonstrated that through a chapter and a quarter, that he is that. So anything of my life that is lesser, surely he is Lord and authority over. And for that reason, that reason, if your compass, true north, would be untrustworthy or non-functional, um, and that's what our feelings often act as, um, then, um, and, and, and in this text, he says, don't torment me. Don't torment me. He should be saying, heal me. But his feelings are that Jesus is a threat. But he's wrong. His feelings are wrong. Our feelings are wrong a lot of times, very wrong. The second caution 
the pursuit of and granting of freedom from slavery to our sin? Do you really believe what he's saying here, that all things are truly under his authority and possible? Should he grant it to you? Should he show mercy and grant your prayers and petitions? If you pursue him in it, um, and he grants you a freedom from some sort of slavery to sin, to Satan, or the surrounding areas of your lives, uh, a cautionary tale is this one. Not everyone will be supportive. And not everyone will be happy about your set free from slavery. Because sometimes people have agendas. Um, he sat there in his right mind, fully dressed for the first time in a while, right? Like, you got to be thinking, man, this guy's a miracle. They're afraid. They're afraid. Why on earth would they be afraid? I can give you at least two reasons. And this is, one's in the text, one is just pure speculative logic. In the text, there's people who have economic interests in pigs. And they lost 2,000 of them that day. If he can do that as a result of it, let me put it plainly. There are people in this man's life who would rather him wrecked with demons than have their money drowning in a pool of water. Give me my money over this man's freedom. They will take it every day. They have a vested interest. Money is a horrible God, but it's our God nonetheless oftentimes. Second thing I will tell you is this. If you've heard of the term social contract, it's the idea that we all agree that we're all going to do something and we all kind of count on one another doing it. Otherwise, it kind of rocks the boat. We've all kind of act in different personalities and roles. And when someone kind of rocks the boat and acts out who they really are, sometimes we don't like that. We don't like it. We ask someone, how are you doing? I am doing terrible. You want me to tell you about it? <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> How are you doing? Just give me the pleasantry. Get, play your role in this conversation. They can't. They got to come clean. They got to be who they are and, and really tell you and take your question at face value. So the pursuit of and granting of freedom from slavery to sin, Satan, and the surroundings of our lives will not always be celebrated by everyone. That's a cautionary tale um, because oftentimes when we're set free, we think this is, this is it. People are going to be joyous for me, and some will. Thank God. Not everyone will. Not everyone will. So much so that this guy was like, I don't want to stay here anymore. Can I go with you? He knows He's got a hard road ahead of him where he lives. Final thing, and this is, I, I want to end on this because this is really the most important um, if you're going to walk away hearing something, I want you to hear this. Um, I mentioned the unruly nature of our emotions a couple of times for a very specific reason. That, and sometimes just the various personas I feel like I catch myself playing, it feels like such a hopeless part of me to grow and be more like Christ. Sometimes it just feels like this is one of the hardest things in me to change about me. Um, again, not wanting to project, but I think that's true of a lot of people. Like they feel really lost and unable to, like, well, it's just my emotions. I can't control them. Could Christ? Could he? My Bible seems to indicate yes. And so how does he control it? Pray. <laughs> Go to him in prayer. Pray. Act in faith, of course. We're people of action. So go ahead, act. Act in faith. Take actions of faith. But as you take those actions of faith, continue to pray. And then after you take those actions of faith while continuing to pray, pray again. Pray again. There's some, most things like this are just too big for us. They're too big of moments. They're too big of a challenge. 
in Mark chapter 9, if you were to scoot over a few passages, there is a situation where people asked, Jesus, why is it your disciples couldn't cast a demon out of this guy? And his answer was really revealing. He said, the reason why I could and they couldn't is because this can only be cast out by prayer. This is difficult. Which was an interesting acknowledgement because Jesus is somewhat saying that there are things that we can actually conquer through other means. Maybe through discipline, maybe through, um, yeah, whatever means. Accountability. But there are things in our life that have a range of difficulty. If I were talking in video game language, they are not level one playing the video game. There are things in our life that are level 10. And nothing will help us. Except we need God to intervene in a crazy, miraculous way. And so we ask him. We pray to him. That's what Jesus is saying. saying you got, there are some things that you can only pray for. You can only pray for. And that is putting you on your knees in the best place you can be. Jesus is the only one that has authority and lordship over my external influences, over demonic influences, and over my flesh. And I'll end on this passage in a quick comment. James chapter 4, I've referred to it a couple times. He really connects some dots for us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's the language of Staying close to Jesus, walking with Jesus. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. There's that, that phrase again, purify your hearts. He follows up with this, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You didn't believe that that's what that phrase refers to. Again, it's linked to it. You double-minded, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Um, He's talking about repentance posture at that point. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. In other words, humble him over and over and over in front of him. and He will eventually exalt you, if not completely in this life, in the one to come. We don't think about this often, but we are praying for an ultimate culmination of freedom as well. Not just incremental freedoms in this life. We're praying for that day where we will be finally and fully free as well. He will exalt you, whether it's in incremental ways in this world or finally at the end of time. On his way to becoming a disciple of Jesus and growing as a disciple of Jesus and making new disciples of Jesus, the man at the Gerasenes had to confront his impurity or inconsistency of heart. And the good news for him, the good news for you, the good news for me, is that the only one that has the power to conquer legion in us, to confront and win against legion in us, is Jesus. So yes, according to James 4, let's draw near to him. 